0: This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, I think, you know, we're just so we're so close, we're tantalizingly close to Earth again. I think I just I, I just want to go out and roam. I want to get free of this this ship and just be out. We're in a spaceship. By myself,
1: there is nowhere mm. for you to walk about.
0: Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I could be tethered though. I could be tethered to society slash the <laughs> ship. Sure.
1: Yeah, if you trust me to actually tether you to something. But, you know, hold on to this rope and uh, take Very
0: that great. long walk and we'll see did what you, happens. Did you dye your hair blonde and dress <laughs> up as a schoolboy? This is really getting really weird in the last few weeks of being on this ship with you.
1: Now, apparently, this podcast is about Kyle's fetishes, so... Mm. Good.
0: Good. Well, that's not making the cut. <laughs> on a rinky Dig spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Calendar versus the Machine. My name is Kyle, and uh, I'm Dave, and I'm the Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse, and then another apocalypse happened. Somehow, it's used its powers to transport us across time and space. So now we're on our way back to Earth, only a few weeks away. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today we're going to be watching the film. Walkabout. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. <laughs> In this place, man is just another of God's creatures. Of course, a big thank you to our patrons, Green Girl, YYC, and It's a Conspiracy Podcast. Dave, we're about to watch uh, kind of our second week in a row, Hmm. an art film, a, a, a movie that's designated like an art film. But first, because this is quote-unquote like an Australian picture I want to first talk about that what's your history with Australia Dave Uh,
1: I don't know I mean I know that we are related as part of the Commonwealth Mm -hmm. I know about Crocodile Dundee
0: yeah, that's probably my first introduction to them. There There's are, also the Simpsons episode where they go and visit Australia, which is... Uh, the backwards my, toilet. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. High points, yeah,
1: high um, There are a lot Nicole of... Nicole
0: Kidman, Guy Pearce. I was going to say, a some, lot of
1: great Australian accents. Huge Jackman. Uh, accents, Jesus. Actresses and actors, talent that have crossed have over accents, and though. taken over. Um, I know that I have often been confused between the Australian and New Zealand accents, uh, because that's canceled. We canceled now, thing. Dave. <laughs> what else? Um, oh, I know that it is a country that was, uh, colonized to become a, uh, yeah. pot of criminals. Right. And that they have a rampant history of xenophobia working mm. into the 1980s, I believe. For example, did you know, Kyle, that if you're Australian and you married a non-Australian, your wife would, or husband would not be allowed in the country even after marriage. Oh,
0: Yeah. That's wild. So
1: uh, that I think was into the 80s or something. It's a very strange history. It's not like the uh, fastest beer drinking country that we associated with today. They have a pretty rough past through the warring periods. I mean, who doesn't? People aren't nice during
0: war. I mean, yeah, I mean we can pull open Canada's history if we really want to about oh, abuses Canada's of the gross. Aboriginal population that lives
1: here. Well, I mean they interned uh Japanese. We uh we have a lot we have a government here in Alberta that has referenced Nazis in their healthcare programs. So uh we're doing mm. real well over here in wow, Alberta. I didn't
0: know uh, we're gonna get political on this episode.
1: Uh anything else? Did you reduce kangaroos? Did you reduce oh. and did you yes, and I've written a treatise. Yes. For whatever reason, I'll never go there because they have the deadliest fucking weirdest animals.
0: Oh, that was a, that's what I wanted to open up with. One of the other big things, of course, I know about Australia from people that I know that live there. Uh, the everything memes can that go around you. the internet, like yeah. everything is going to kill you. Yeah. Every plant, every spider, every animal, it's there to kill you.
1: Strange. And and they have the marsupials and all those weird animals. Well, like what is a weird that, like, strange place?
0: You, you know how there's like the funny little customs that Canadians have that for some reason, Americans make fun of us. Like we take our shoes off at the door and blah, blah, blah. There's those kind of weird things. Oh, who wears their that we shoes
1: do. indoors? S- Californians. Savages. Go to California savages. and watch
0: people never take off their shoes. Gross. I just watched a movie. What? I can't remember what movie it was, where that was a plot point where it was weird that the kid wanted the parents to take off their shoes when they got home. I'm oh like, my what, God. what are you ta- well, this obviously is taking place in America because I don't <laughs> understand why this is weird.
1: I always thought it was an Asian thing, but it turns out it's because we have snow.
0: Yeah, that's that's basically it. The, the other, uh, but that was what I was leading up to is that some people that I've met that live in Australia, it's just a thing that's the second nature to them. Like before they go to bed, they whip all their sheets to make sure there's no spiders, spiders and snakes that are going to kill you in there. Same with shoes. They always dump them out, make sure that there's nothing in there before they put them on. So it's, yeah, just get used to it. I Everything
1: guess. can kill you there. It's crazy. Also, <laughs> have you seen the, uh, what is it? Platypus. And their weird yeah. star, it's like my starpians. favorite,
0: my favorite animal, the platypus.
1: They have a lot of weird stuff over there, and uh,
0: the platypus, or as I like to call it, God's little joke.
1: Ninety <laughs> percent of the land is uh, you can't live there. I don't mm-hmm. know, it's a strange place, but strange a place. lot of Canadians want to live there because correct,
0: it's hot. The I just pulled up the, on on the internet here, like best Australian films, is what I just typed into okay, Google. I'm ready. Of course, Crocodile Dundee. Is like up there. Um, is that actually?
1: That's not actually an Australian film, though. Is no, that? I'm okay. pretty sure
0: that is a Hollywood film. Yeah. It, Paul Hogan is Australian, but yeah. yeah.
1: Have you seen the movie Australia? Oh, with uh, Nicole Kidman, Nicole Kidman, and, uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman? Mm, yeah. No.
0: I went to the movie theater to watch ah, that. How'd movie. How'd that go? It's not good. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a good movie. Although I do like Baz Luhrmann's other stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Have you ever seen that?
1: Uh. Am I mixing, the, uh, is that the Patrick big, Swayze one? No, I'm mixing that up with a uh, no.
0: no, it's Guy pierce okay. in, in this okay. one. yeah, I'm mixing it up. Uh, no. But uh, kind of a seminal work of queer cinema. Yeah, drag uh, of queens. The Man yeah. Desert. The Hunter. I have no idea what this the movie Hunter.
1: is. <laughs> Has
0: no. Willem Dafoe in it, apparently. Oh, a Cry no. in the Dark. Do you know A Cry in the Dark? No. That's A Dingo Ate My Baby. That's the Meryl Streep movie. That a Dingo Ate My Baby. Mm. That's that movie. Eh. So no, full Seinfeld episode about that. Wow. Animal Kingdom. Have you seen Animal Kingdom? Oh, yes. The uh, rough, family rough uh,
1: gangster thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like that. It was, uh, I, well, I liked it when I watched it. I was probably in my third 20s. What is that? 2000 yeah. something.
0: Yeah. And then That'd they made a, a TV
1: right? show, which I couldn't watch.
0: Yeah. yeah. And then lastly, uh, Strictly Ballroom, which is oh, a movie a I've always movie. meant to watch. Oh, that, that's a great a, movie. But I've never seen it because oh. I love Baz Luhrmann. It's the only one I've never seen of his movies. I'm, I used to actually own that on DVD. I wonder if it would hold up because it's so old. But I've been told it movie. does. Okay. Like it just If you lock into the dancing, the dancing it's is great. still great to yeah, actually yeah, yeah. watch. Yeah. That was a fun movie.
1: So, you know, I'm not completely ignorant. Just right. 80% ignorant. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This movie that we're watching, Walkabout, is directed by Nicholas Rogue. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Rig. Nicholas Rogue. Rig. What's your history with Mr. Nicholas Rogue?
1: Well, I didn't think I had one, but um, mm. apparently I do. Um, you do? Yeah, yeah. I'm, try- I'm just trying to figure out.
0: So I think for us, I-, I don't want to speak for you, but honestly, I think for us, the biggest touch point for kids that grew up in the 90s is going to be the witches. Right. Right. The roll doll adaptation, not the new one with uh, the uh, Zemeckis made, but right. the previous one, because it has a terrifying, terrifying witch transformation there that scarred me as a kid. <laughs> Plus, they turn into mice and that was also like my deepest fear. <laughs> I was going to say, way. I could I, not I thought imagine be anything the, worse. Yeah, I was like,
1: I thought it'd be the rats, but uh, apparently mm. it was the CGI or practical effects, practical mm-hmm. effects at the time.
0: If you're a horror fan, Don't Look Now, which would have been the movie he made after this is considered like one of the seminal entries of, of horror filmmaking. Um, and then the other big one is probably The Man Who Fell to Earth, the mm-hmm. David Bowie film. Mm-hmm. Is he directed that? Yeah. So.
1: Good. Good for him.
0: Or maybe maybe you're interested in um, Erotic Tales, Volume 3. Apparently
1: I should be, because
0: that's his, uh, where we've been The last few years <laughs> were not, let's say, uh, or tour-driven. <laughs>
1: You gotta, you gotta pay off the loans, Kyle. Mm-hmm. You gotta pay those loans off. I'm sure that was a big hit.
0: There was a money shot. Let's just put it that way. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, sorry, I cut you off. What is, what is your history with David Ro- or Nicholas Rogue?
1: No, that's about it. I, uh, I was trying. I think when I was reading up, I think he was a cinematographer mm-hmm. for some bigger films for a little. For bit. For David
0: Lean, yeah. Yeah. For like Lawrence of Arabia. Oh no, sorry. No, he got kicked off. He was, he was second unit director for Lawrence of Arabia and Doctor Zhivago. Well, he got kicked off for right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or he left. There's conflicting reports about whether he left or was kicked off. But regardless, and then
1: Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, he was a
0: cinematographer many, many years before he became a director. Yeah,
1: that's I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't have known him as a cinematographer. I mean, who can name a cinematographer, Cal?
0: I know like two, yeah. but yes.
1: I mean, that's unfortunate because they do a lot of the <laughs> visual work that we've come to love so much. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But when I was briefly looking at this, I was like, oh, I recognize two of these. So good, good for me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. The Witches is definitely the big, big touch point for me. Um, so this is like, I think this is only going to be the second movie I'll have watched of his. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. I'm excited for that. Kyle, what's your relationship with the didgeridoo? Well, you don't just ask someone that. <laughs> have you ever blown one? I have not. I have been in person, watched somebody oh. perform with the didgeridoo. Oh, that's and that's cool. really cool to actually watch them perform it. It's very similar, not in sound or anything like that, but I've but like how bagpipes work because you have to have the constant air going Mm -hmm. through them even as you're taking a gulp of breath there's always air kind of going through it yeah it's it's a weird sounding instrument but i kind of i kind of like it uh, for people who can actually perform it well
1: when you hear one you know it's one
0: oh yeah yeah (laughs) all right good let's see this here then dave let's Didgerie go... Uh, no, didgeri don't. To the ad read segment. <laughs>
1: Didgerie don't uh, do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm, I, I am excited to talk about this. Let's do this. We'll go and thank some sponsors, and then when we return, we'll be talking all about the movie Walkabout. Ugh, oh, I'm already tired from walking so much, Dave. We just, like, stood up. Yeah, to I know. Read. Oh, wow. You know, we've been on this spaceship for so long that, like, just... The effort of setting up is a little bit much for me. Anyways, whew, wow, exercise, am I right? Yeah, I mean, just considering how often my watch dings
1: that you are exercising, <laughs> I just wonder how you fake it so much if you can't stand up from a couch.
0: Uh, well, <laughs> Colin Daverson Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. Mm-hmm.
1: They do do that.
0: You know, Dave. This week, we're brought to people's ears. Wow! Mm-hmm. I was trying to no change keep the going. T- keep going, yeah. yeah don't, give that on don't give that up. Don't give that up. Work with it. You know, with Pod Power, Dave. <laughs> Mold our sponsors molded into
1: <laughs> a message. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just work, work that uh, tech shaft. Um, okay, with Pod Power, Dave. Our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta Podcasters. In this episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to Bookwomen. You know about this show? Bookwomen? No. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you about it. <laughs> uh, Bookwomen is a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Mm. So it, it features three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland, and they aim to inspire Indigenous people to share their stories in whatever form that they enjoy. Uh, guests include indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between, which I can't possibly imagine anything else because no, that's a pretty good yeah, gamut yeah, of, of stuff there. They put everything. You can listen and find out more at bookwomenpodcast.ca. So if nice. you want to check that out, it just sounds pretty good. Good. Yeah. Did you Did you hurt yourself? I think I just smashed my computer, but that's fine. <laughs> oh, I just kicked the chair. Well, why
1: don't I talk about ATB? Mm-hmm. Because ATB cares, Kyle. Does it? They care about this message, anyways. Sorry, I, I script. I moved away from the script. I moved away from the script. Oh no!
0: Uh, I thought this was like totally from the heart. Every time that you talked about just it, just off the cuff, off yeah. the
1: cuff. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna improvise this. At ATB, we make banking
0: work for you. Mm-hmm. How do they do that, Dave? <laughs>
1: Well, they offer both expert and practical advice in saving, budgeting, and paying off debt. Look at the uh, way it's cropping half <laughs> the letters in my screen. I <laughs> I said paving off the debt. I need my debt paved. That'd be nice. Uh, and though your financial situation and the economy may change over time, you can be confident that your money is safe and secure with ATB. They, not we, because I don't have this history, they have a d- history of doing what's right for their clients, especially when times are tough. Because ATB was built to help Albertans. For more information, visit ATB.com. Yeah, don't take financial advice from me.
0: Dave, I am, maybe you're going to surprise me. I don't know. I'm pretty sure we're gearing up for another fight on this podcast. <laughs>
1: Because so, he thought it was the greatest movie ever so seen. So, <laughs> lay,
0: lay, lay it on me. What did you think about David Rogue's Walkabout?
1: I don't know. You, know. you know what I was thinking while I was watching this? That because we've been watching such cynical and broken narratives this year, the whole time I was watching this movie, I was expecting something horrifying to happen.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. I was
1: expecting her to be abused or people to die. I mean, we do see some very, um, if you want to call it graphic, but very visceral representations of nature and the cycle of life. But I think one of my problems watching this was that we are on a string of watching some brutal, brutal films. And so, the whole time I had this tension like, oh, this is going to be the part where I was like, oh no. I do have this sense that I was almost not bored but kind of um, untitillated, <laughs> detitillated mm-hmm. and despite there being some egregious nudity, teen nudity in this. But overall it was it was fine. I I didn't hate it. Uh, I watched the whole thing without interruption and I was mm-hmm. somehow engaged with the philosophical concepts. I mean there's clearly a statement about civil I'm uh, not civilized what am I thinking about urbanization or like yeah. colonization versus, you like, know, nature and the the good life, etc. Um yeah, youth, I would say it's British like this kind of this yeah. um
0: comment between like we'll call it like westernized right. urbanization versus like the the aborigine way of life i guess type of thing
1: yeah this freedom from the weight of mm-hmm. uh and modern living let's call it modern living yeah. at the time it just doesn't feel that in 1971 it was fine yeah i didn't i i think i understand why some people really like it it yeah. is more interesting artistically than for example my opinion about throw away your books even though it's not as challenging
0: you are kind of stupid that's interesting to say that i well yeah i I guess i would agree with you not as challenging aesthetically or what it's trying to communicate. like like grappling with what it's trying to communicate Mm. i have to be very honest i went through a really weird roller coaster of emotions while watching this film Mm. like you I was like, oh, something like awful, awful, awful is going to happen to these kids. Like, that's what I was just gearing myself up for. Yep. And honestly, by the midpoint, I kind of had like, mm, I don't know if that's actually where this is going. It doesn't feel like this, that's where this is going or the story is driving at. I know we just watched this movie, Dave, right? We just watched this together. Oh, but yeah. let's say that I had had a chance for a night of rest <laughs> to, to really think on it. This creeped up on me very similar to Sunday Bloody Sunday, mm. which is... There was my immediate reaction was like, yeah, like I, I, I enjoyed that. There was some elements of it that were compelling narratively, some philosophical ideas. And then I sl- sleep on it and I'm like, no, actually, I think that affected me more deeply than I thought it mm. was going to. And it, and it actually did challenge me in a bunch of preconceived notions, which I want to actually unpack here a little bit later on.
1: It's like a therapy session every week. Yeah, it's going to be free. a therapy session, it's of great. course. Yeah.
0: I think, though, what I can say is that the strongest bit is about the first half of the movie? Yeah. I think that like the actual setup of a pretty serious thing where yeah. their dad snaps and is going to kill them. Like that is a pretty bold way that to was start shocking. a movie.
1: Well, and I think that's the other thing; it sets you off because yeah, it's boiling up, and then when that scene happens, you're like, "This is going to be a horror movie." I can just, right. it feels like a right, horror right. movie, and then it, and it isn't.
0: Well, the, not only that, so we have that element of like, "Oh, okay, this is pretty bold to start off." They go out into basically. The middle nowhere. of nowhere, trying to get their way back to Adelaide is actually where they're trying to get back to. That's where they're from. They, of course, meet up with this Aboriginal boy teenager. They even say that little thing at the beginning of like what a walkabout actually is. Immediately, I'm gonna be like, oh, it's gonna be one of those movies where it's like the plucky white kids learn something profound from like the the other white mm-hmm. person Culture. and like change right. their way of life. Just and that's not- also not really what this movie does like it does sort of but it's not like the disney-fied version of that you right, know right. which is like then, you, you then know i should a i, sh- I should i should come back into nature every so often right. it's actually a i think a deeper thing than that
1: right well i mean that that is still in there but it is yes less, but i don't s- glorified maybe or yeah, yeah
0: i think that's that's what i I don't, I don't feel it comes at the expense of it being like hey this is an actual real person right. with a real culture right they're not just here to like teach the white people something no. there is actually this like conversation Actually, that's one of the biggest sub points is the lack of communication or the inability to communicate effectively with one another. And then the ending is is there, which was was confounding. And I know you hate when I go and find context. But after thinking about it and watching some videos, it actually does make a little bit more sense of how this actually wraps up uh, and when it's supposed to communicate. The only thing i really outright hated, there's only one element they really hated. And there's two moments where it flashes from this narrative to like these scientists who right, are out there. Yeah. Which has, like, such a different tone, and it's, like, nothing to do with anything that's happening in this movie. No. Like, yeah, their balloon, like, shows up, but it's like, what? Who cares? Like, yeah, I don't, I, Like, it doesn't matter where the balloon comes from. It's just showing that there's society here. Anyways, I hated all that stuff. Yeah, it's, the, it doesn't add anything.
1: The whole thing with sexualizing a pin-up model scientist and all these guys mm-hmm. are, like, you know, thirsting her, and then nothing... Like, why is this yeah, even the, in the, there?
0: Like, why is that there? Yeah, it, it really confounded me why that was even there in the first place. Yeah. So I ended up really, really enjoying this. Mm. Um, mm. I was kind of medium while I was watching it. After watching and sitting with it a bit, I, I liked it. And then sleeping on it, I was like, no, I really like this movie. There's, there's a lot <laughs> into it. Well, I don't know. It, 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 maybe. I just, I think I need to watch it again at some point mm. and just see if it solidifies and be like, yeah, no, like all this stuff is actually there. What What I enjoy about it, there's actually a, a movie that's going to be coming out on Netflix very soon that I saw at the Calgary International Film Festival, which is The Power of the Dog, the new Jane Campion movie. Similar only in the aspect of it does give you everything. It just doesn't explicitly have a character say, and I am doing this for this reason. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you kind of really have to engage with the narrative to like see what it's trying to communicate and, and, uh, and understand how everything fits into place. I really feel like they're very similar in that. Respect, like Power of the Dog, or this movie is not something you can also be on your phone checking things, or else you're going to kind of miss these yes. connections and and what is actually happening. For example, why
1: is Benedict Cumberbatch hot?
0: <laughs> He's it's it's weird, right? Why is <laughs> no. he? I know. I agree. Um, I agree.
1: Uh, it's eighty percent voice. This movie, for example, I don't know. I I kept trying to figure out what the vibe was like. I, I kept thinking of like Kubrick, just because of the cinematography and mm. the richness. But like for example, the little notes like. Her, uh, the radio is giving um etiquette advice and these weird sort of things that are weaved interweaved through the film to just uh, frame the girl's adherence to being prim and proper and this yeah, right. urban like those little nuances. If you're surfing on your phone, you're going to miss all of it and you're just going to be waiting, uh, for something visual to cue you in that this is something you're supposed to pay attention to. And that is definitely not how this film works. And like you're talking about. It doesn't resound with me the same way, but I would appreciate those things. It is a mm-hmm. very intentional film.
0: The I guess the thing that I liked was, the, I guess the showing of those, like the juxtaposition of, even at the beginning, the the mother is listening to the stuff on the radio and you hear the stuff on the radio, like, this is what the, whatever the serving knife mm-hmm. does. And this is what this you thing does. And this is how you prepare this like really vinegar. fancy yeah. thing, yeah, which is contrasted so subtly, it's like. You have no food. Guess what you get to do? You get to kill an iguana and eat it. Nope. It doesn't matter how you prepare or it at the, at the base level. ground mud water. Ground, ground yeah. mud water. Which I do agree. You were texting me. It's like, how did people not get dysentery? Like, I kind of agree. Well, I don't know.
1: This is how dark my mind is. I thought that's where this was going to go. That they found this groundwater pool by the tree and they drink and eat this fruit. And then for like the next three days, they'd be shooting and puking themselves. Right. And apparently that's not how it works in the Outback. You just... Appreciate well, it. I don't know. No. <laughs> I mean,
0: the, 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 it kind of reminded me of Lord of the Flies in a way, right? Of like kids just being trapped somewhere where they have to fend for themselves. And if you ever read that book, like that is like the first like quarter of that book of just talking about how kids are shitting themselves every day because all they're doing is we're eating unripe fruit. It's a, It, it yeah, is a mystery on how it is. Gorgeous uh photography. You can oh, tell that he probably incredible. started as a cinematographer. Yeah. He actually did the cinematography for his own film. This is one of the cases where he did do the cinematography for his own film. The the other thing is, of course, that communication bit of mm. one, it's interesting how I find like her young brother is able to start to slowly understand like some of the words and phrases. And she never does. He tries to keep that like separation. Distance and separation mm-hmm. from her, but uses him as like that communication tool. But there is also those. There was breakdowns, and specifically the ending. And this is the one that I had to have a little bit of help understanding exactly what was going on. And maybe you picked it up. Did you understand what kind of dance he was doing? Made ritual. End? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I didn't really pick up on oh, that 100%. Okay. So there's two things that happen there at the end, of course. There is him going on another hunt, which... By the way, I don't think you need that much meat to survive. He, he <laughs> like he's killed, killed a lot of so stuff.
1: Many, they they killed so many animals for this movie.
0: <laughs> I know. It's, it's remarkable.
1: And you watch the whole thing. You watch them gutting actual yeah. animals. You watch them actually spearing animals. You watch them survive some of the wounds and they chase them down. It's unbelievable.
0: I, I But I respected that a little bit. Again, this is like my little soapbox. My dad gets on this soapbox all the time too. Growing up on a farm, which is like, yeah, when you live your life and you just go and buy some hamburger mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. the grocery store, it is very different than when it's like, this go, is how you get that yeah, hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I think they're really using that effectively between between the two. I wonder what human hamburger tastes like. I have no tongue, so I don't know what anything tastes like. But he's going on that hunt. He's confronted by those two people with the gun, right? Yeah. Who are just killing water buffalo. For, for sport. Real, yeah. For sport. Yeah. And he's realizing, oh... Like my way of life is is over with with these white people coming and encroaching on these lands who can do this from here where I have to run around and actually chase these animals and actually bring them down and then doing the mating ritual and it was rebuffed so both things that he wants his way of life and love have been like taken away from him and then he ends up killing himself over that. I mean, I'm
1: I was on the same wave that I interpreted a little bit differently when he came across The Hunters, which is just, Mm -hmm. and maybe this is also because I I watched too much sort of Japanese and Asian Mm -hmm. uh, cinema in in that sense, but I thought it was more spiritual, which is just watching the white men destroy nature. I mean, there is that undercurrent through the whole thing too, even with that winding road that's cut a swath through the outback. Um, It's such a stark image, you know, it's not Barry Ford, the derelict town that just exists, even though nobody Mm -hmm. lives there, that he was more just spiritually broken because uh, I I agree with you, I just don't, I didn't feel like he had, um, that character was projecting that much that his way of life was more just like what a brutal thing to witness that it wasn't about the nature feeding them, they were just leaving these animals to just die in the fucking field and I think that was shown too with him. Lying in the, in the bones. I mean, I, yeah, that seems yeah. metaphysical, like a, uh, like an allegory, not that he actually assembled actually thousands yeah, of bones. I agree. Uh, but when he came out, yeah, it was clearly a mating ritual for me because he does, it's like a bird. He does like uh, mm. the thing. And then they show the two faces. At first, he looks a little aggressive. And then at the end, he's looking hopeful. I did like that throughout the film, the girl is herself wrestling between the two things. like She is trying to maintain her training as a proper female or whatever that means in the Western culture, but she's attracted to him. She almost lets herself slip into this world. And at the, that moment where she's got to make a decision, which is, am I going to sleep with this dude and start a family here? Or do I need to really get back to the comfort mm-hmm. That I miss. She does this thing. I don't know if it's intentional, but even her reaction keeps flipping back and forth. Like at first, there's definitely fear because it's fucking creepy to have a guy appear in a (laughs) window dressed up as a skeleton with feathers and dancing. But they spend a lot of time there. So
0: you're saying I should not do that on my second date?
1: I don't know if you're agile enough to appear at every window oh, okay. and trap a person. Not the dancing, but like he's oh, dancing around the whole house. So every time she moves to another room, he
0: appears like a ghost. I could do it for like a few minutes. <laughs> do well, it he all dances
1: night. to death, which is crazy. So I, I actually like that sort of ballet at the end. It was it mm-hmm. was really well done to see her work through it. It wasn't like a horror movie where she's just going to die. It was more like you can see her flip-flopping because she is attracted to him uh, throughout Mm -hmm. the film, Uh, but she does make that decision and she becomes quite cold-hearted at the end, um, which is an allegory of Western civilization. We do get attracted to so-called wild and indigenous cultures. I think we all do when we read stories and fantasies about a natural way of living. And then we turn back and watch Netflix because it's easier.
0: Right. Yeah, I think there is that struggle still shown at the end there too, right? Where I think she almost feels betrayed by the fact that he has not told her about the road that mm-hmm. he came upon, right? And there's also that other moment where he sees there's a settlement, right? And he right. comes back and does not tell Turns them that he just away. saw a yeah. settlement there, right? So he intentionally is trying to keep these two kids with him. Spiritually. Whether guide. it's to start of family or spiritually wants to be connected with them. Mm-hmm. But then at the very, very end, when we flash forward a little bit where she is now married, presumably, I'm guessing that's her husband.
1: Well, the whole time, I, w- I didn't even know that they were brother and sister. I, I thought mm-hmm. she was like his nanny. And I thought that was the boy and they'd become married at the end. It only, oh, it was only I after I was reading up on it, I was like, oh, it's actually, like, it could have been both for me, but I just had trouble. Right. I think it was at the beginning, there were some shots where the dad is looking at her and I was worried that it was going to be one of these sexualization things. So I got confused, right. but anyways, keep going.
0: Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, like, really how this movie truly ends is her hearing about his promotion mm-hmm. could and get his dreary, really like, we're yeah. going to be able to move and we have more money. And she's just like, is this really, is this really what it's all about? Is that all that? the rest of my life is going to be is like the next promotion, the next step up, the next mm. meal that I have to prepare. And there is that wistfulness of going back. Like, well, it was a little bit easier when it was all I had to do was figure out like, what am I going to eat today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when it's only, when it's that focus in a way. Yeah, great. But you're right. We can become complacent and be like, we, that's all nice to wish and think about until you're in the middle of it. And it's like, it would be nice just to sit back and watch Netflix right now.
1: Yeah. The, the director does a very interesting series of, Uh, Yeah, juxtaposition as you brought up, you know, paralleling the butchering in the butcher where the meat has no context. It's just blood and flesh, but it's being quartered into a, you know, consumable package. And then the actual uh, gutting of a hunted animal. There are so many little pieces. That radio, I kept thinking, how does this radio still working? But it's used to connect her to quote unquote civilization when there are also moments where she's caught up. I mean, the skinny dipping scene... You know what's fascinating about that? We have five minutes of full nudity, yeah. but it is not pornographic somehow.
0: Yeah, I, I really wanted to bring this up and talk about it because I agree with you and I struggled with this like, oh, okay, I don't know how I feel about this. And I also have like, how old is she right now? Yeah, she's like, definitely I, I'm
1: still a teenager, yeah.
0: Yeah, by by the sounds of it. Like probably sixteen, but they said seventeen mm-hmm. when this movie came out. Or else it also wouldn't have been able to be released technically yeah. in in Britain.
1: I think it was banned somewhere, right? Mm, it they have could have cut, been. They had to cut that scene out in America. Um, and in somewhere. America, yeah, they yeah. did.
0: Okay. They cut it out in America when it was released over here. Yeah. Yes, yeah. But I agree that it doesn't feel egregious or pornographic. And the other thing that I think he's trying to intentionally do—he's not cutting back and forth in that scene, but earlier. We see actually younger girls naked when the aborigines oh, are in the yes. car. Yeah, and it's like, so is it bad for that? Because he's doing like close-ups and like mm-hmm. zooming in on on nudity there too. And It's like, but if it's not bad there, why is it not bad there? But okay here, so it's the it's I think really forcing the viewer to be like confront that it's like is it bad? And if it, yes, then why is this part not bad? Is it both bad? Like I don't know that's that's where I got kind of squicky and weirdly in my head from a 2021 context because it was like I just I didn't feel like it was trying to ogle this 16 year old It feels like she's having a sense of freedom at that point. That's what it felt like that was trying to convey
1: It, it's suddenly, I mean, I'm suddenly thinking about get Carter, the movie that you detested for this, the inverse reason. And I think Mm -hmm. maybe again, I'm, I read too much into get Carter's um, premise, but I think it was the same idea for me, which is exactly as you bring it up to force the viewer to ask themselves that question, you know, when we see the Aborigines in the burnt car, how they treat the corpse, how they interact with Western technology, are we supposed to look at this from, you know, the colonial lens of National Geographic, like these are objects, these are animals, so I'm not physically attracted to them. And then when we have the white-skinned, naked teenager girl swimming in this pool, then all of a sudden I'm around, you have to like really decide for yourself where you land on that spectrum. And at the very end, when all three of them are naked in the pool and we see, you know, the boys are not wearing clothes. It shows for me that the intent from the director was not to sexualize this person. You know, we actually talked about that a lot in 1971, which is uh, all of these creatives and artists are wrestling with all of these problems. It's not just sex. It's violence, racism in last week's episode of bestiality and you know, mm-hmm. all this kind of shit. Um, we've seen it with drugs. We've seen it with prostitution. There seems to be that older uh, more intellectual discourse of, I don't want to tell you what's right or wrong. You need to look at this and decide for yourself where you lie on the spectrum. Uh, and it is fascinating in that regard. This is a thoughtful movie. Yeah,
0: it's- uh, Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, that's the, yeah. I, I, I agree with it being a thoughtful movie. Like th- those types of scenes, even a decade before this, like straight up would not have happened. No. Um, Definitely through the 60s into the 70s, European films were pushing the envelope because the uh mp double or uh, no the uh, the ratings board had collapsed and the studios are collapsing at this point again it's like this weird little vacuum where everyone is just rushing to be like oh let's just try everything we've been wanting to try and do and some of it works some of it doesn't so it's yeah this really interesting time i think this is maybe the most thoughtful film that we've watched in regards to some of these ideas mm. because the other thing too like talking about the the aborigines going through the car um uh, and that scene is that initially when they when they prop up the dad's corpse into the mm. tree, like it almost looks grotesque, like they're
1: like a scarecrow, yeah,
0: like a scarecrow almost, yeah. Um, until you get to the end, and part of the reason why the young uh, aborigine himself has put himself up in the tree is that the way that they quote unquote bury their dead is to hang from a tree. They don't want to actually be. In the gar- ground put into the ground where the ants and everything else can can attack them sort of thing So I that is actually a sign of respect that they're giving to mm-hmm. the corpse that you don't actually really I think understand as a white audience Member I didn't understand uh, at the very beginning You only kind of get that by by the end it's like oh mm-hmm. Interesting that's what they're playing around with here and the, the grace of she, her like brushing those ants off of his chest before they go mm-hmm. It's like I want to honor <laughs> this death before we leave him here
1: yeah, I, I didn't know that. You know, you get that sense when she's yeah, uh, pushing some of the parasites off his body, but uh, that's an interesting reflection. I I don't know if there's something you noticed or you read about after, but now that I'm thinking back at it, it is jarring when they have the scene where the Aborigine's find the wreckage yeah. that he is hung on a tree and I couldn't understand what that was about uh, because they're also sort of ironically uh, gazing at him the way we gaze at uh first nations cultures which is yeah, yes. through a window and they're kind of like inspecting what a strange world these other people come from but the the idea of not putting it into the ground it, it that's a ah uh, that's yeah. that's some good context cuz they show a lot of fucking maggots and ants yeah. and uh, <laughs> all kinds of things eating the dead in this uh which is also Uh, Yeah, interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it it gets in there. It goes there. Well, I'm sure there's a few other things we should touch on here, too. But uh, before we do, let's do some backstory here. So Walkabout was released on July 1st, 1971 in the U.S. Uh, Released actually a little bit earlier in the year at Cannes. But it's rated 7.6 on IMDb, 85 on Metacritic, and over on Rotten Tomatoes, it has 84% from 38 critics. And eighty six percent from five thousand plus users. Not to be the dead horse, although there, there should have been probably a dead horse in this movie. I'm surprised there wasn't. Um, uh. Probably was. That is. Lower than Throw Away Your Books Rally in the Streets was <laughs> all of those ratings, by the way. Uh actually you can get this at a bunch of places. There is uh, some DVD and Blu-ray releases. It's
1: on Criterion. I
0: think you mm-hmm. can go on iTunes for this one. I actually <laughs> didn't write this down. It is also streaming on Criterion, though. So if you have the Criterion channel, you can go and watch it there. There's a couple of videos that you can watch. One from Jenny Agutter as the who's the girl, and then Luke Rogue. Talking about this film, this is where I got some of the context Mm -hmm. in there. uh, Because she loves this movie. She thinks it's one of the best things she's ever been in. Its budget was one million Australian dollars. I don't know what that translates into, but it was one million Australian dollars to make this movie. uh, And I have no idea how much money it actually made on release. Its plot description is this. Two city-bred siblings are stranded in the Australian outback where they learn to survive with the aid of an Aboriginal boy on his... Walkabout, a ritual separation from his tribe. It says Jenny Agutter as girl, Luke Rogue as white boy, and David Gulpilly or Gulpil as black boy. That is what their actual <laughs> credits are. It's By the way, yeah. I don't know if it's a Luke Rogue or Loosh Rogue because his name is actually Lucius uh. and it's shortened to uh. L U C. So I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. going to say Luke, but it might be Loosh, is how they actually. Bring that's that probably down. anything Luke. you want to say about these uh, actors or actresses. No, there's not a lot of stuff.
1: I mean, uh, Jenny Agute or Agutter or whatever. I mean, she was in two Marvel movies,
0: sure, she was uh, the <laughs> congresswoman in the uh, Captain America movies,
1: yeah. And Luke's his son, and she, he's actually what seven or eight in this, and he's like, Yeah, he, and it was amazing to watch him in this movie because uh, that's a tough little kid, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I thought
0: he did a pretty good job. He's I mean, good. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say he's like the most amazing actor no, or no. kid actor, but he does a pretty solid job.
1: Yeah, I, I found him engaging. And uh, David Gulpilil, the only thing I could find, unfortunately, I mean he's had a, a reasonably—he was
0: in Crocodile Dundee.
1: Yeah, a reasonably successful career as an yep. emerging actor in Australia. Um, I mean, there's some controversy. Apparently, there's some violence in the last in mm. 2006. Uh, he threatened somebody with a machete, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> uh, and apparently his wife. So, I don't know. There's not a lot of detail. I didn't want to dig that. But other than that, you know, I think because as we Mm -hmm. find these people aren't that successful in America, there's not a lot of uh, American Googleable information on any of these actors.
0: Yeah. The only other thing I guess I'll add on to here, I think it is somewhat interesting for uh, David Gulpel specifically is he was a dancer before this. Like that's what he was actually known for. Yeah. Cast into this movie because he went and really used his movement is why he was cast in the first place. Luke or Luke Rogue didn't, I think, acted in one other thing besides this movie, but is known now as a movie producer. That's what he does. His two probably biggest things so far because he's produced things all up until like 2020. Like so, he's still around. He did one of Cronenberg's later films called Spider um, with uh, Refines. And he also, he also did We Need to Talk About Kevin, which mm. is the Tilda Swinton movie about her son being a killer, like a murderer, and her still going to visit him. So she becomes a pariah of their society. That's a rough watch, by the way, <laughs> that, that movie. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's done some bigger things.
1: Yeah, I know Simon. he's got a big list of production credits, but yeah, I don't know much about him.
0: By the way, the other weird thing. Uh, oh, well, actually, one other thing. Uh, David Gulpel. there's an entire documentary on the Criterion mm-hmm. channel you can watch about his life. The video you can watch about this movie that Luke Rogue talks about, he calls his dad Nick all the time, and it's so weird to me. Yeah, Nick was doing this, and then Nick decided to do this. I'm like, that's your dad. Just call him your dad. I don't know. I <laughs> I don't thought know. That was it really a, weirded me out.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I thought a lot of rich white people do that.
0: All right. Well, maybe that's it.
1: I don't know. I see that a lot in films. Asian people are not allowed, so... <laughs>
0: No, uh, so this is this movie is based on the novel "The Children," written by Donald G. Payne under the pseudonym James Vance Marshall,
1: which is why I thought you'd pick this movie. You probably <laughs> not, thought you were related to this guy. I
0: related to this person, not. It's a pseudonym. <laughs> written by Edward Bond, directed by Nicholas Rogue. I wanted to talk first about Donald G. Payne. So he has a history that's going to sound kind of familiar. To people who have listened to a bunch of episodes from this season, but essentially he, I believe, grows up in New Zealand first, but it goes into World War II, has a career in the military, comes back, starts writing fiction afterwards. We've heard that story countless times. This, I believe, is his first or second book, and it's really the one that he is known for. He has a very extensive career and always writes under a different pseudonym, Mm. so he never... Really uses his real name. So he has a bunch of books under this Marshall guy. He has a bunch of books under this other person. And then there's a third and fourth pseudonym he uses for different things that he does. Um, edited a bunch of Reader's Digests, apparently, in his career. So when it's a was really weird, yeah. wild career. I think Reader's Digest still exists. It does. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's a good bathroom reader. Good bathroom <laughs> read. The main difference, though, from the book until the movie, there's actually a bunch. <laughs> but the main difference... There is that one. They all have names, so they, they're not just referred to as white boy, white girl, black boy. They actually have real names. But the young boy actually actually does contract the flu while out in the outback, yeah. and then passes it on to the black boy. So as the and then as the white girl is bathing one day, the aborigine comes upon her. She becomes super angry, throws some stones at him, and he goes away. But as stated, because he contracts this flu while the white girl is trying to get her brother to go and leave like we're gonna leave him behind like you came upon me and I, I don't feel safe here but the boy is like uh, i think he's gonna die and so they go over to him she realized oh he he is like he is going to die now so she basically like lays her his head on her lap she forgives him he dies. Oh, they wow. bury him, and they leave. Like that's how basically the book ends. Sounds like a laugh riot. She does the like we aren't so different, you and I kind of <laughs> moment within within the book. Anyways, that is that is the book. So it's a very different ending. Interesting. Nicholas Rogue comes upon this book and loves it. Uh, he, like he had been working, of course, as like second unit director and cinematographer for for many years, and he had been looking as uh he had been looking at a project to. Uh, become his first movie for him to direct. So he thinks it's going to be this one, but there's some problems, I guess with financing, that sort of thing. So actually his first movie is this film called performance, which stars Mick Jagger of all people. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And that came out like the year before this, which is not very highly regarded from what I can understand, but is his first like foot in the door to making a film. He initially was going to cast his older son, but because three years had elapsed between the time that he wanted to make this movie, his older son had basically aged out of the role, which is why his younger son is the one who was eventually cast. This is all to save money, because they were really bootstrapping this movie to actually get it made. Yeah, Jenny Agutter was always his pick. She had actually come in on audition like three or four years before this. Wow. No, two years before this. Because she, she was 14 or 15 when she comes to audition. And this had 16%. a long editing process. So I think I forget if she was like I think she was actually sixteen when they filmed this in the early nineteen seventy. It was released when she's seventeen or eighteen, I think, is when it actually gets released finally. But yeah, the the whole big thing about this is that in there's been some different laws. That's why the five minutes of her being nude is cut out in the American release. In the British release, it wasn't initially because of this one rule where it was okay. As long as it was not like a sexual act that was happening on screen for people 16 or older to appear nude in a film. Then it was like in 2003 or 2004 somewhere where the rules changed where it actually had to be it had to be 18 again unless it was a sexual nature sexual act that was happening. So weirdly enough on the DVD release they did have to give the rating a higher rating <laughs> in 2003 and onwards mm. uh, whereas before it had a lower rating. So it's all these weird ratings rules throughout the years that have that have happened. This was like I said, a whole family fair because his wife was helping out on this. He was helping on this. Like everyone was kind of involved in, in the making of it. It was fairly well reviewed. Like a lot of people really, really love, really, really love this movie, but did not do very well, at least in the U.S. Like people did not go and watch this movie, uh, but did fairly well over in Australia and in mm-hmm. England and stuff like that as well. So that's basically yeah, as far as the backstory goes.
1: I wanted to just add. Uh, When we bruised by Edward Bond, I'm looking at this picture on Wikipedia Mm. beneath the demand to give them more money, Mm -hmm. which listeners, you know, if you can, they just need $2.75 from anyone who can donate to keep Wikipedia free from ads. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, I was looking at this picture. I'm like, I've seen this face before. Edward Bond wrote the dialogue to Nicholas and Alexandra.
0: Yes, okay, so we've heard about him before, yeah.
1: and... He's the controversial playwright who yes, kept getting yes. banned everywhere, yeah.
0: <laughs> so we've talked about that, yeah, yeah. Anyways. Apparently <laughs> also wrote some stuff for Blow Up, the Antonioni movie that is um, considered great.
1: Yeah, so. I, was, I knew it. I was like, everything intersects I in 71, but I, there's something about this guy.
0: One of the things I loved about this movie, it's not really like what the movie's about or anything, but having watched my nephew and niece grow up, and I'm sure you... Probably know this as a as a father, but man, if there is something a kid does not want to do, you cannot force them to do it. Like they just <laughs> get so opposite. That little boy just like laying down on the ground, like I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to well, lay I, here. I'm, I'm amazed like, he started walking
1: at all. Maybe it was a different time, but being trapped in desert, even if you're 10, I think you do mm-hmm. a lot more crying. It's pretty frightening. It was mm-hmm. interesting to see him mature. And there's a bit of a commentary about that the little kid who's not quite programmed the same way as the older kid can allow himself to be immersed in the next culture. So, it is fun, not just that he learns to communicate with the Aborigine boy, but that he starts learning the behaviors. He can harvest plants. He goes on on hunts. He becomes much more aware of his natural surroundings. And then there's that sort of interesting deadpan no what's the right word a cynical no detached a moment when they find the town he's like my dad killed himself didn't he and the yeah. girl's like yes and he's like you know he's he just he can process it at that point which is fascinating mm. to me uh it and takes a while when they bring up the definition of the walkabout and how it's uh, a rite of passage with the boy you definitely see it and i think the reason why there's two characters at least in the way the film is set up with the girl she resists it the whole way through yeah it was great i thought the kid did a really good job. Did you know that you can put uh, blood of animals to deal with sunburn?
0: No, that that's a new thing to me. I don't know if that's actually true, but maybe it is. Fascinating. <laughs> maybe it's super. I just have to say, like, again, I'm. This is me as a white North American man, totally overstepping my bounds, probably. But like, I just can't imagine throwing an entire kangaroo shank. Or an entire lizard a onto a fire and just getting it burned and charred. It's like, oh, this is going to taste good. Like, nothing about that looks appetizing to me.
1: Yeah, I, whenever I um, think about the evolution of cooking, it is fascinating. When I first was eating meat, like growing up, mm-hmm. and there was a point where I was railing against this idea that, much like this movie is suggesting, most people don't even want to know that meat is from an animal, uh, like right. particularly North America. In a lot of Asian cultures, like if you order a fish, you eat the fish head. It comes out as a whole fish or a pig mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Like I've eaten cow tongue and chicken feet and all these things that many, uh, like a vast sort of middling average, would find disgusting to even talk about. I think that there's something very interesting about let's call it primal cooking. Where if it's about nourishment and we're not worried about whether it's seasoned at the right amount of fucking yeah, yeah. time or cumin, then it's really just about making edible so you don't shit yourself to death. What? And throwing an entire animal into a, on a spit makes sense, you know? I don't know if they take the fur off after or if the whole idea is to burn it off. Um, There's some scenes Despite where- what it is. When they're taking it up and it looks like it's still, the heart's still beating inside the fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I've eaten bug. I don't think I've ever eaten a lizard before, but I presume from what I read as jokes, it tastes like chicken because everything tastes like chicken, <laughs> right, Kyle?
0: Yeah, it's because yeah. that's only a framing, right? If there was no chickens in the world, <laughs> we'd say like, yeah, everything tastes like lizards. I, I want I want to ask, like, what is your feeling on this? Because, I mean, obviously there's that one scene where he like throws the javelin or mm-hmm. throws the spear at the kangaroo, right? And it's like, oh, okay, like that, that just happened. Yeah, like yeah. We, we see that in frame. But some of the other i'm like i'm pretty sure i'm almost positive that it's just like documentary footage that they right. inserted into like this movie. animals i'm pretty yeah. sure that that's what it is i can't say i don't say, know that for sure but that's what it feels like
1: yeah especially because there's so many different what we would consider exotic animals it's not like animals but some of the lizards some of the things that are It mm. felt like what we would consider now like a bbc documentary of like yeah, you know david Attenborough stuff it is a little jarring so i did think when i was watching it that they were intercut with some stock footage but considering who this guy is maybe that was part of the budget and they were just sat up maybe you're in a, if you're in the outback and you just have your camera out these animals just appear anyways <laughs> Just show up and you're just like oh my god this a scorpion take a picture
0: of it quickly and yeah we're, just, we're lousy with kangaroos over yeah. here like you just wait five minutes you're gonna see a kangaroo yeah <laughs> so i don't know but have you had kangaroo before no i have oh where yeah so, in my previous life, when I still worked for Apple Computers, have you heard of them? The Apple Computer um, people? I'm running MS-DOS. Um, <laughs> there was this one time where they sent me down to California, and everyone told me, it's like, you have to go to this restaurant. It's called Rock. It feels like I'm about to launch into a Stefan bit. It's not. <laughs> it's like, you, you you have to go to this thing called Rock, R-O-K. I'm like, all right, fine. Oh, of I'll course go to Rock. It's okay,
1: good, yeah.
0: So I go to rock with some of the people that I was down there with and what it is, they bring out to your table, this gigantic hot rock, um, fire heated lava stone. Right. Right. And they set it in the middle. Okay. Okay. And then you pick the meat you want to use and the sauces that you want to have. And you cook your own meat and then you dip it in. Koreans
1: do a similar thing, yeah.
0: So you can do the, like, you have your beef, your chicken, etc., pork, all that stuff is there. But it's like, well, I'm not paying for this, so maybe I can try something different. And so there are two, like, uh, outside-the-box choices were either alligator or kangaroo. I'm like, never going to eat an alligator? That sounds disgusting. (laughs) So, (laughs) and from people I've heard, yeah, it's like a very salty fishy taste i'm like mm, it's not my thing so i don't really want to so i was like i'll do i'll do the kangaroo uh, and they bring it out and i you know i choked it down and like a whole um,
1: like a whole shank for an all old- A whole shank actually the <laughs> whole leg
0: no for me it did not taste like chicken it actually tasted kangaroo to me tastes like roast beef but gamier. Mm-hmm. like um like it's more into like the deer, elk type of thing that I've also had, but like it's it's more close to roast beef in texture and taste. But I don't really like gamey meat, so I wasn't like a huge fan of it. it was like I did it once. I'm never gonna eat that Checked again. Probably. Your
1: bucket list. Yeah, yeah. I'd imagine that in, in Toronto there was a burger place that had bison, and I've eaten. Yeah, when you eat a mm. rabbit or anything quote unquote wild, um, it has a different texture than a farm lot cow. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I uh, I wouldn't shy away from eating it, but uh, that was the other thing when you're watching the hunting and the killing for sport, it is a little jarring because as we've talked about 1971, yeah, <laughs> uh, animals not had to no shit about
0: animals, right? You see so much animal death in this oh, movie. Oh my god! But, it says like you know all the other movies you've watched that have had animal death. We're gonna do that all <laughs> combined and then quadruple that we're gonna just American inside sets. this movie. We're
1: gonna we're gonna super sets. Um But I think because of the context is survival, it is actually not as brutal as you'd think like there's a difference Mm. between you know someone kicking a a rabbit or them suffocating a monkey in a lab versus this guy like actually at least in on film uh, having to chase down a kangaroo or or um have a tactic kind of sneak face the wrong way and then suddenly turn around like there's something about it that felt more natural there's
0: something different than like i am watching someone actually hunt this animal and kill it with their hands versus The clinical, like, we're just going to gas this monkey to death. Like, there's something very different between those two things and seeing them on screen.
1: When you see the hunters doing the gun, I thought that was much more violent, you know? And there's this buffalo and it just suddenly collapses. And you can tell they actually shot this fucking buffalo. Yes, they did. And, uh... There were at least
0: two buffaloes that they killed. Right.
1: And you're just like, oh, wow. Like, it's it's different. When you got this guy with a high-powered rifle sitting in his truck... And then, Versus
0: like him literally trying to wrestle yeah. that buffalo to the ground yeah. that you had just watched before. I'm like, yeah, I kind of respect that more than <laughs> you going this from your car, shooting it from 500 yards away.
1: So there's that intentionality. Uh, however, mm. uh, you see a lot of them die. And if you're squeamish at all when they're slitting throats to pulling hearts out, that is mm-hmm. all depicted in this film. Uh, so there's a bit of a so trigger I growing up.
0: It's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so inoculated with that stuff. Yeah. It's blood
1: pouring out of flesh. Mm-hmm. So, uh, consider this a warning. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, oh, you know, I could take a walkabout, but, uh, I don't like the sight of blood. This is not the, <laughs> take main a field. look
0: about first and <laughs> then decide if you want to do the walkabout and then uh, do a sit about yeah, afterwards seriously. and uh, contemplate your feelings. One thing I don't want to blow past too much, the, the, something that, that uh, jumped into my mind as you were discussing the difference between the, the boy and the girl, I think you're right. There's that resistance where it almost, you get to an age and there is really no turning back where like she's whatever, we'll just say fifteen or supposed to be fifteen in this movie. Her deciding like, oh, I'm just gonna live in the bush now is just she spent too long the other way right. for that to ever really feel like a natural occurrence. And I think contrasted that with the the Aborigine boy, like he spent too long with his with his tribe and out in in the bush to be able to be like, oh I'm just gonna go and live a modern life now quote unquote, a modern life. But it it really reminds me. I don't know if you've ever read those stories. The the Pocahontas story is the biggest one I can think of. But okay, you're now going to wear like the three-piece suit. We're going to bring you back to London. And like they all, well, they say died of homesickness, but it's just like they could not deal with the fact that you're taking me from something that I knew my entire life and now forcing me into like, uh, <laughs> the, the most advanced quote unquote society. Like it just does not compute. Well,
1: I was reading, I read one anecdote in a book and I think I either watched a documentary or YouTube, but, uh, they were talking about Fiji, I think. And they were talking about the averages in Australia and how the sort of intense and immediate colonization led to so much disease and sickness, not just mm-hmm. because of the diet change, but because, because culturally, you know, you are forced to conform to all this stuff and there's stressors. I mean, we're talking about now in Canada, you know, so many languages have died and so many First Nations people are trying to find their roots, but they don't exist anymore because they've been literally burned off the face of the earth. Uh, yeah. So, how do you find what I think is the end wistful shot in this that natural attraction to a more natural state of living. Um, I think that's the whole point of that little flashback she has as a housewife, that there was something there that she wanted, uh, but like you bring up, she couldn't do it uh, for the trappings. We we use that metaphor in our language, the trappings of society. And she does a great job, whether this is her acting or this is just the moment of uh, looking miserable in her good life, right? And it's something that we should all, I think, in a... uh, is it, is pejorative the wrong word? Yeah. Uh, Since <laughs> think about, well, yeah. right?
0: Uh, I think, uh, but I don't know. I don't know about you, Dave, but I often get into these things. Like, I just want to run away from this all. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to go live out in the cabin in the woods. There's like, there's that seduction. I think that people get to at a certain point, but then you really have to break that down. Like, okay, how am I going to get food? How am I going to survive? How is this all going to actually work? And right. it's like, well, maybe I can just, you know, suck it up for a little bit longer.
1: I was reading. I mean, I remember having this conversation in Toronto with a friend many, many years ago. Probably, probably twenty years now. Jesus! But he's a he's a fascinating person, and uh, you know, he's intelligent. But he's also got this pull to live in a woods. And we, I remember we had this conversation once where he's like, "I just want to give it all up, live in a cabin." And just get rid of all this bullshit because I'm tired of this city living. And yeah, I, I don't know why I brought this up, like what I was thinking about. It's just too extreme, but I was like, it's an all or nothing proposition. You can't go live by yourself in the woods and then still have friends, still eat the type of food you're used to, still go out for a coffee. And so, you have to kind of make that commitment to, you know, to just live off land, run after lizards with a spear. <laughs> the other thing that I was reading, I'm still reading, trying to finish um, Kafka on the Shore, but this uh, writer brings up, I can't remember which Western philosopher wrote this because uh, I'm reading this in the middle of the night and I can't remember anything. But it is a fascinating reflection on libertarianism right now, which is there's no such thing as freedom and that society works because we have rules that you have to adhere to. Mm-hmm. And it's the only way people can urbanize. You, know, you and I can't have this podcast if we don't have a preset ethical concept of how to talk to each other. Uh, but people who imagine true freedom as this wilderness, they will all harm each other. <laughs> Because uh, you know that's just kind of the dark side of human nature. So it is that's the tension I think in this movie. Where do you side with either side? The Aboriginal country cultures have died out for a sad and brutal reason. But there's a reason why they can't urbanize on their own. And then when they're forced to, they can't uh, normalize quickly enough, and they're dying out. And then all the urban people are getting sick because they can't live naturally. <laughs> We're doomed, Cal. We're doomed. Right, right. Yeah. There's well, no yeah. good answer.
0: I mean, there's um. The Jenny Agutter interview that's on Criterion, like she mentions how like there's a bunch of different ways that you can read this film. Maybe there's no right or wrong way. There probably isn't a right or wrong way. But she's like, there's the people who look at this like this is like a childhood lost story, um, or a society of lost innocence. But for her, it was like for me, how I locked into my character is that. At the end of this movie, you have to kind of understand, at least intuitively, that once you've gotten to a certain stage, you can't go back. Mm. Whether it's society, your, whatever that is for you. Like, yeah, you you go to a certain degree. And it's like, you don't. there's no take-backsies <laughs> uh, at this point in your life. You can pivot, but you can't just go back in time. Mm. And it's like, yeah, I can, I can understand that. I wish I could take back my last hour. Two things that I just have written down here that we have not talked about in my notes. And this is probably uh, more attributable to the conversation we were having before we push record here so just to throw disney under the bus a little bit we need a big this is a fox movie this was released by 20th century fox so this should be also on disney plus (laughs) it's not it's not on disney plus too challenging but but I also loved his, like, little conversation where he's in, like, the little mud pit, right? He's like, why didn't you pick any of the water? And, like, why didn't you do this? It's like, well, you're actually tr- right, Mr. Young yeah, Person. <laughs> By the way, it's like, I get that part of the reason is, like, the she's not been taught how to, like, survive out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. But there's also some things, like, mm, I feel like maybe you could have <laughs> approached this a little bit better. Uh, capture the water. Save some of the fruit. Anyways. But he's, like, going to, like, the trouble with Batman and the Saints is that they always win. They always and why do superheroes always win? I'm like... Thank you. I really want to make a video where like that starts off the video and then we show a bunch of examples about exactly what he's talking about.
1: Mm -hmm. New podcast. The only other thing that I might just throw out there, it just has nothing to really do with the movie, but um, I grew up in Toronto as I always talk, but I knew some uh, Sri Lankan people and I've heard them speaking Tamil. Obviously, I don't speak Mm -hmm. Tamil. It's a very complicated language. But uh, when this boy is speaking, I I don't know what the Aboriginal dialect is called. uh, Yeah. I was like, this sounds a lot like Tamil, <laughs> and then I googled mm. it, and there are uh, there are similarities between the two languages. Because I just kept thinking about that sort of Southern Asian land bridges. You know, there are a lot of theories about how the languages right. and cultures are coming in from Southeast Asia, and uh, how the Polynesian islands are all related to Taiwan and China like over mm-hmm. ten like millennia, and not uh, politically, of course. So I thought it was interesting because there's a sense that there are certain pockets of a genetic growth that are separate from each other and often uh, Australian Aborigines are kind of con- considered much like Australian animals like a very unique genetic makeup you know they seem to have this very isolationist wandering tribe uh feeling but apparently the languages are related so there are always these little links mm. which I thought was kind of neat but who knows
0: there's been different theories about again the native american tribes and how they came like there's a land bridge between russia and yeah. here but there's also like the this theory that parts of the hawaiian islands were settled by native americans as well or or um
1: uh, yeah I, and th-
0: they just took the longboats across because they've been proven that you could do it. Like, it, it <laughs> wouldn't be day. easy, but you could do it.
1: <laughs> I uh, I did read the other side where, the, yeah, the Polynesian islands come from uh, sort of like Taiwanese side. Yeah, yeah. If you look at uh, just purely in a stereotypical and surface level thing, when you look at the Inuit... They look Mongolian and a lot of them right. share similarities with Korean people because Korean people are also uh, Mongolian in, in bloodline. Um, and then in the center where we would call sort of Aboriginal peoples, there's that uh, sense of a mixture of that and then the South American uh, Aboriginal right. people who are have their own unique sort of chemistry, let's call it. So, there, it's fascinating for the people that research that. They must just see these really cool mysteries because uh, it's not a... Obviously, mm-hmm. uniform culture. Even the concept of no. everybody coming from Africa and Western Europe is fascinating to think about, and how over millennia these genetic changes happen. Uh, never mind. You racism, might say,
0: might say they we're not so different, you and I. Oh, we're
1: different. Yeah, we're. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with you. No, I, I just, yeah. I
0: just. It's one of my things. You know, there, there's those things that. Phrases that show up in like almost every movie. (laughs) I love it. I don't know what it is. Every time it comes like, we're not so different, you and I. It's like checklist, right? (laughs) You
1: know, I'm starting to feel sadly like that's the problem with movies these days. There is Mm -hmm. a checklist, Kyle. And um, if we're learning anything, I mean, it's not like 1971 is the only year they did this, but it didn't used to be like that. And people used to actually (laughs) take risks. As I was talking to Kyle off mic, I just watched uh, Shang-Chi. And it's hard to watch Marvel movies all of a sudden because we're standing in 1971 when people made movies to insult uh, conventions and, uh, (laughs) and, uh, what do you call it? Or just try for something,
0: right? Like I'm, I'm still a Marvel fanboy in a way, but I have not enjoyed like their last five or six films very much. Basically anything after Endgame, I've been kind of like, meh, whatever. I know I'm probably, maybe you and I are the only two who would even want this to happen but part of me wants there to be a marvel film where it like starts off and then it completely breaks, breaks everything convention. that you think it's supposed to do and be like no f you like double fingers <laughs> as they back out of the room and like and everyone would hate it and me and you would be like best movie of the year oh, great movie we'll see <laughs> it was you. billy jack the superhero movie and it was amazing
1: <laughs> when you uh watch the eternals maybe that's why people hate it so much we'll see maybe. i don't know i
0: um, i doubt it but we'll see <laughs>
1: Yeah, money, man. Money and fear, people not wanting to break much like, you know what? Maybe our culture is like this teenage girl in this movie, Mm -hmm. you know? We're just too set in our ways and nobody wants to take a walkabout. Go walkabout, people. It's fun. do a walkabout. Where do you get all the paint to paint their bodies? Beautiful colors. Is that from the stones?
0: I mean, they do I that. I can't believe it because I can't, I wouldn't even be able to do that with a mirror. <laughs> how, how you would do that without one is like That's beyond That's one of me, my so.
1: favorite things watching. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're all, again, colonial lens, watching through National Geographic and everything. But when you see art... Uh, in these, what we consider tribal settings. And they're so beautiful and geometric and colorful. This is the movie where I started thinking like, it's just three kids in this desert drinking mud water through a reed and a straw. And all of a sudden he's (laughs) doing- The good
0: old days, right? (laughs) Yeah, he's
1: doing these elaborate cave paintings and drawing on their bodies with these beautiful colors. And I'm like, where did those colors come from? I know nothing about surviving without the internet, Kyle. Mm -hmm. uh, If you can't Google it, it doesn't exist. We're done here.
0: Well, uh, the machine has said that we have to wrap this up. So, first off, let's do our Critics' Choice, our Critics' Corner.
1: What do I call this? Uh, Critical Appraisal. Who cares? Um,
0: We're going to do Critics' Choice. We have Roger Ebert. Pauline Cale did review this movie, but I could not actually find her review, unfortunately. (sighs) So, um, we're going to do something really different. But here's Roger Ebert. He gave this a four out of four stars. Ooh. That was always um, although, five
1: stars in those days, four to four. Interesting.
0: Um, he did a four star system in his newspaper, and he just kept that up. Okay. Um, although, uh, very famously, he said he hated having to give stars in the first place. He said, "You should read my review instead of focusing on the stars."
1: All that right, I all right, take it easy, Mister Ebert.
0: He four to four stars, and he says the movie. Oh, and this, I should also point out, this was actually done like about two decades after. The movie came oh, okay. out, okay. this review. The movie is not the heartwarming story of how the girl and her brother are lost in the outback and survive because of the knowledge of the resourceful aborigine. It is about how all three are still lost at the end of the film, more lost than before because now they are lost inside themselves instead of merely adrift in the world. The film is deeply pessimistic. It suggests that we all develop specific skills and talents in response to our environment, but cannot easily function across a broader range. It is not that the girl cannot appreciate nature or that the boy cannot feel function outside his training it is that all of us are captives of environment and programming that there is a wide range of experiment and experience that remains forever invisible to us because it falls in the spectrum we simply cannot see Eloquent Any response there
1: I I zoned out but I think he liked it yeah he said he said big words so he's probably right Great <laughs> <laughs> He said big
0: words I don't know how to do it yeah. um
1: I didn't bring my thesaurus this dinosaur, right? Uh,
0: basically, but well, I think his biggest thing here, which I like, is that what p- part of this is what we were mentioning for some of these characters. It's not that they could never have done this. It's just simply the fact that how they were brought up, where they're living, they can't go back to a time where they can learn this new stuff. Uh, they're never going to understand the other person because they've lived such different lives for like the last sixteen years.
1: well I don't know how to start a fire out of principle. Billy
0: Joel does though, so we should ask him.
1: <laughs> I, I can't fashion a spear <laughs> out of wood. I wouldn't know they could drink mud water. I
0: don't know. So I'm, gonna, I'm going on to letterboxed here because we see his effusiveness here. This is from user Mr. Bally High, mm-hmm. uh, who gave this two stars. Okay. Two stars out of five. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But the first paragraph is, I've never been able to really connect with Nick Rogue's body of work. To me, his films all appear self-important and self-indulgent, narratively and visually disjointed, uninterested in telling an actual story. The actors and dialogue always seem secondary and do little or nothing to advance whatever obscure point he's trying to make. He deals strictly in visual flash and shock. And then the last paragraph is, Apparently I was supposed to be entranced by Rogue's vision of a primitive world, populated by noble noble savages helping uptight English-Australian stereotypes longing to return to Eden. But apart from the half-second shot of full frontal nudity near the end, I found it unbearably dull and not a little pretentious.
1: Not a little pretentious. Interesting. Much like uh, every review I've tried to read on Letterboxd. (laughs)
0: All right, Mr. Litterbox. though, <laughs> all of a sudden. Jesus Christ.
1: No, it's because I started reading some of these reviews, and I'm like, my God, people really have a hard-on for trying to sound like they read books.
0: Yeah, I know. There, there, there is part of that. <laughs> and I mean, Maybe I fall into that, too, a little bit, but there there is some...
1: Well, I've read some of your reviews, and whether I agree or not, at least they're under 2,000 words.
0: Right. <sighs> There's some I can go off on, because I'm just, like, thinking of 20 different things. I use LetterBox really just to very instantly capture... thoughts and feelings i tried to be like very ornate originally i'm like i can't do that it's like these are my quick thoughts after watching it which is why there's so many grammatical mistakes usually when i nobody's nobody's
1: analyzing grammar they
0: will always be critical of this was just beat into my head not literally but when i was in university there was an english teacher who's like if you ever Put into your essay something like "Since the beginning of time, blank, blank." I will blank, find like,
1: you and I will kill you.
0: Well, he said, "I will, I will dock you a letter grade." Like, I, it is such a dumb thing to start <laughs> off with because, hey, how do you know? Like, give me your sources. Like, since the beginning of time, people have believed blank. I'm like, no, don't use that. <laughs> but I see it all the time in reviews. Like, since the beginning of film, we've all agreed upon this fact. I'm like, have, have well, we? Who said that? <laughs> when? When has this been a thing? I have a particular
1: Anyways. set of skills.
0: Well. I'm sure we'll get some uh, letters here, but uh, that is. I would what like a letter, me-
1: right, instead of a comment on YouTube. It would be nice, if something letter.
0: in the in the post. Imagine that, though. You this beautiful letter in like beautiful Script. parchment, yeah. wrapped up in this like ornate wax, gold envelope, wax, seal. wax sealed. Yeah. You open it up, and it's like "fuck you, love be- <laughs> Billy Jack, but love Billy Jack."
1: Perfect, you know, call- yeah.
0: calligraphic calligraphy. Yeah. yeah, someone do that, please. Please, You're gonna roundhouse kick you, <laughs> idiots. I'm gonna put
1: this foot. <laughs> In your face. Well, I don't remember. Um, the exact so
0: that is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feed. Oh, wait, sorry. Oh. Before we get there, oh, right. we, gotta, uh, it. Uh, we yeah. should answer the question. Do we think this holds up and is it still culturally relevant? What do you think, Dave? Oh, man.
1: I, yeah, I think I have to go with a moderate yes and yes. I mean, I, I think the cinematography is mm-hmm. enough that it's viewable. It's a good restoration. It's uh, quite yeah. striking.
0: That's what I, I was going to say that I would love to go and see like the restoration print on a big screen i think the photography would look even better in that in that regard
1: oh a quick note on that uh he used a fisheye lens which is great
0: yeah, there's some ultra wide. There was that one shot of the little kid like walking towards the tree, yeah, yeah. which I thought was beautiful, yeah, but it's like super eye. ultra yeah, wide. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Fish
1: eye lens. And then uh, like we, like what was missing in Red Sun, uh, the use of a panoramic lens is beautiful. Yeah,
0: Every time it's like, oh, and then there's rogues that have made Red Sun. Yeah. and then it would have been better. Uh,
1: <laughs> what a missed opportunity. <laughs> we need We're going
0: to beat this drum until someone <laughs> in Hollywood remakes Red Sun. And it's still probably going to be bad, it be but it's terrible. like, well, they try. Takeshi
1: Miké <laughs> would be fun. I only think that it's relevant because we spent so much time talking about the concepts and themes underneath it instead of bagging on a performance or whatever. Mm-hmm. However, you know, it is still a film shot in 1971. So, I don't know necessarily if, you know, my wife or my son will ever want to watch this. So, it, you know, cultural relevance- But should it be right.
0: your wife and son or should it be culture at large, well, Dave? But that's
1: the thing, you know, what, where's the microcosm? Since the beginning of yeah, time, yeah, Kyle- I think that uh, now I, I yeah, think, yes, I, I, these I are. I
0: actually think I'm there with you though. Like, I'm, yes, I do think it holds up for what it's trying to do. Is it still culturally relevant? The only relevance really is uh, Nicholas Rogue specifically, because you'll see uh, in his, in the, even in his write up, like the two big directors are Steven Soderbergh and um, Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan. yeah. Uh, credit him specifically of I be mean, like, his work influences what I am doing. So, I guess if you're a fanboy of either of those directors, definitely go and check out his work. Cause you'll see like how he shot things, filmed things, recorded things definitely influence uh, the work of those two people.
1: Just one caveat. I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, as a family thing, we are watching, we love watching uh, competition television shows and there's this American culture. Basic shows. Yeah. American culture. uh, My Dutch friend always points this out of uh, being over polite where we try to attribute too much praise for the sake of politeness. I'm not saying that Christopher Nolan and Soderbergh didn't mean this, but They don't make Nicholas Rogue films. You know, maybe what they mean is I watched this movie and I thought it was neat that he would uh, cut these weird, hard cut these things together and then leave the audience to figure out why they match. But I wouldn't say that if you liked inception that you can watch this film
0: (laughs) i don't know don't you remember an inception where they got that kangaroo i think that that's a pretty clear
1: (laughs) watching oceans 11 and you're like you know what i could really watch uh, some uh, documentary footage of a lizard you know i I, I don't know Um, but
0: at any rate uh... Uh, but enough about julia roberts (laughs) all right (laughs) That is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Colin Dave vs. The Machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. You can also go over to YouTube and search for Colin Dave vs. The Machine to see videos on Monday where we react to trailers and Friday where we kind of do a brief overview of the movie that week. If you want to see the entire list of films we watched and the ratings we've given, you can go over to Dave's favorite website, Letterboxd. <laughs> letterbox.com I don't mind the aggregate scores just don't read the reviews letterbox.com slash kdvstm and if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the second apocalypse you can go to our patreon page there is a link in the show notes of this episode you can support for as low as one dollar per month something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. Let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, out of five, what would you give Walkabout?
1: I don't know. Now I'm confused. I I think I was going to give it a three, Mm -hmm. but I think after our talk, I'll go up to 3.5. The only reason I won't go any higher is that I'm still... I think I'm still shell-shocked from all the movies we've watched. And like Sunday Bloody Sunday, I suspect... As this uh, f- ferments in my mind, foments in my mind, as it lives in my mind, the numbers should go mm-hmm. higher. But I couldn't get over this feeling, like you know, that I was just waiting for something to happen, which is probably the point. Right. So I'll I'll go three point
0: five. Um, we're we're not we're not we're not so different, you and I, Dave. Uh, I actually here's the weird thing is I. Right after viewing, that's what I had put on Letterboxd was 3.5. And then after sleeping on it this morning, I changed it to a 4. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, nope, I'm, I'm liking this too much to be just like, uh, leave it at uh, that 3.5. So that is going to average out to 3.75. That is going to tie with three other films. Ooh, we're going to have a, probably a fight on this one. Okay, so the three films that it ties with are The French Connection, The Last Picture Show... And carnal knowledge. Actually, I don't know if we're gonna have a fight. I, I, I have an idea of where I would put that, but tell uh, me what you French think. French
1: Connection, Last Picture Show,
0: carnal knowledge.
1: Carnal knowledge. Oh wow, I don't know, Kyle. I mean, I Here's I like what I'm French thinking. Connection Here's Here's
0: better. I think I think French Connection has a more cultural impact. Yeah. So I would probably rate it under French Connection. Yeah. But personally, this is again this is a personal Kyle thing. I liked the Last Picture Show and Carnal Knowledge. I think more as as like film narratives. Yeah. So, I would probably put it at the bottom of those. Yeah.
1: I I, I think I agree. I, the only thing that was holding me back from just throwing it down there is those other two, like Carnal Knowledge, this, the cinematography is also just-
0: Yeah, really good. Fucking
1: money. And there's some great acting performances as we expect Correct. in the Hollywood sense. So, it's hard because uh, the themes of this one are much more universal and less mm-hmm. uh, challenging. But Yeah, no, let's put it- uh, at the bottom of that set. It's not a bad set to be at the bottom of. It'll be above, no, yeah.
0: No, that does mean, though, that enter our list at the new number 10 position is Walkabout. So it is in our top 10 for so right far, now here, yeah. Dave. Good. Who knows if these last few weeks we'll see some more entries into that top 10. I guess we'll, we better, we'll have right? to find out. better, I need out.
1: to watch some good movies, Kyle. <laughs> It's been depressing a little bit.
0: Well, I guess talking about that, let me... Oh, I should also point out, before we find out what we're watching next week, this movie will also go onto our first-time director's list because his previous film he was a co-director on, so this is technically the first time he directed by himself. Also, last week's film, Throw Away Your Books, will also be on that list Mm. because he did do some other feature-length films. Um, We haven't said that on the show, but those will go up there too. So, finding out what we're going to do, let me push this button... Oh, Dave, we get to go to Canada. We've been, done some international features here. We were in Japan. We're over in Australia. England. Now we're coming back technically. to Canada. Yeah. Okay. French Canada, specifically. All right. We're going to be watching My Uncle Antoine. Nothing. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I've seen clips. I know this movie a lot. Talked about it a lot in film class. Oh, okay. In university.
1: All right. Well, uh, better brush up on my subtitle reading since I don't actually mm-hmm. speak French.
0: And make sure that you uh, get your laugh calibrated right and go ha 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 ha. Well, I'm <laughs> trying not to choke on my poutine. You know, maybe maybe I should just like give away all my diamonds, though, Dave here, and just live a life of non-luxury and just get back to just get back to nature.
1: You, wait, sorry. Can you just put your clothes back on? I mean, I oh. I, I know it's hot, but you
0: know it's. But it's, how about it's... the paintings I made? <laughs>
1: Yeah, those are phallic and uh, I'd appreciate if you covered that up.
0: <laughs> you
1: are kind of stupid.